Here's Chavinko. Lovely ball through towards Altidore. Altidore! Toronto FC's big acquisitions combine to tie the game. Josie Altidore. The Two Solid Dude Soccer Podcast with Dwayne Rollins and Kevin Laramie. The award-winning soccer podcast that covers every single aspect of Canadian soccer. And now, without further ado, here's Dwayne Rollins. And welcome to the Two Solitudes. I'm Dwayne Rollins. I'm back after a week away. I had some dental issues last week. That's probably TMI for most of you, but uh, that's why I wasn't on the show. Still in a little bit of pain, but I'm a trooper. I'm here, and as is Kevin Laramie, as always, from Montreal. Not in Mexico City anymore, but that's where he was last week. How are you doing today, Kevin? I'm still trying to recover from my trip to Mexico like last week. Uh, it was such a great time. Emotion high. Uh, can you realize that I actually attended a game at Estadio Azteca? It still feels like a blur to me. I'd imagine it would have, yeah. It, 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 it was a game, too, for, for the impact. Although, I, Sir Evan Bush was, uh, I think, the man of the match. And uh, yeah. it doesn't matter, though. It's, they don't count how you scored the goals or what the results were or how you got the results. They only count what the result was. And it was a result, a 1-1 draw with Club America, which sets up the second leg tomorrow in Montreal, where the impact just need a result of any kind. Uh, and they will win the CCL title, which is a bit crazy. I know. Just just saying it. Like we were talking about, look, what a couple of months ago, how if we want to take this tournament seriously, an MLS or Canadian team needs to go far. Well, a couple of months later, to everybody's surprise, a team from Montreal has made it as far as you can in that tournament. It, it yeah, as far as you can. Well, there's one step further that you can make it, and that would be to play in the. Uh, FIFA Club World Club True. next December. I would be curious to see how they would handle that from a rural perspective. Speaking of rural perspective, we'll talk about how FC, uh, sorry, FC Edmonton, how uh, we're going to talk about FC Edmonton, but we're going to talk about how uh, the Montreal Impact added a goalkeeper, kind of oddly against the rules maybe, but we'll talk a bit about that. We're going to talk about FC Edmonton. As I just said, uh, we have Johan Smith, who is a player for FC Edmonton, a former player for TFC. He's going to talk about the Eddies, about his uh, trip and his journey to the NASL. About uh, his time in TFC, he had some interesting things to say about TFC as well. Uh, TFC fans are going to want to listen to that, so that's coming up after that. And then we're going to wrap up the weekend review uh, with uh, a TFC win, a Whitecaps loss, and uh, uh, the Voyager's Cup started. So uh, all that and more in the next issue of uh, Two Solitudes. Kevin, let's take a break. And welcome back to Two Solitudes. Dwayne Rollins joining us from Edmonton is Johan Smith, uh, the defender there that signed there in the offseason. Uh, Johan, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Um, it's been a bit of an adventure for you since you last were in Canada back in 2008-2009 uh, here in Toronto for TFC. Croatia, Sweden, Finland, Australia. How was that for you? Was a, You got to see the world anyway, eh? Yeah, I did. I did a lot of traveling, a lot of uh, good experiences, but a lot of good people. Um, different different brands of football along the way, but um, overall, it's a good experience. Um, one of the things I saw in some of your interviews after you talked about when you went to Croatia and how the biggest difference in adjustment for you there was the technical side of the game. You, you were always an athletic player, a fast player. You ran a ten point five in uh, the hundred meter in high school, I think. Here I saw there. 
Um, mm-hmm. do, you fe- do you feel that you, now you've sort of balanced those two, that technical and that athleticism now? I thought I always had a bit of a technique about me. It's just, um, you know, sometimes when you're you're not playing a lot and uh, you're thrown out there, it's sort of tough to um, to show everybody what you can do. But, um, yeah, Croatia was, was a different world. Uh, technically, um, you know, I had to adjust. Um, these are top players over there in terms of technique. Uh, they call Yugoslavia sort of the, the Brazil of Europe because these guys are are technically are technically adept and they're just great on the ball. They're they're uh, they're technicians. So going over there really helped me out. Um, at first, like I said, it was a it was a it was an adjustment. I remember being in preseason in Slovenia. We were playing Rondo, sort of five v two, and I had the one Argentinian in the group and the rest were Croatian. And we played that for about 30 minutes. I think I was in the middle for about 20 minutes, 29 minutes at that time. So it took me, uh, took me uh, to adjust. Um, the ball moves a bit quicker. You have to use your brain um, a lot more than you would in uh, in a different setting. So um, it, was a, it was a good experience, very positive. Tell us about how you ended up back in Edmonton, sort of the process that uh, that saw you come back to the NASL, play in North America again, and particularly what, what had you attracted you to go to Edmonton? Um, well, I was, uh, I was overseas, you know, and I just, you know, made a decision that to come back home was probably one of the better, better choices for me, um, uh, being overseas and being a foreigner and being counted against the quota and, um, other little things, um, within a country when you're a foreigner, it just sort of counted against me. So I said, you know, let me go back home and, and try to play, uh, try to play football back home. It'd be a lot easier for me. Um, I talked with a couple of clubs, um, and, you know, Edmonton was the most interested, and I went on trial here, and I signed a contract. Um, so it's it's been a it's been an interesting interesting couple of months um, after I left Australia. But um, you know, thankfully I I signed a contract, and I'm I'm grateful to be here and play football again. If we're looking at the NASL, it's a league that's been in constant evolution in the past couple of season. How do you find the play in NASL this year, and how does it compare to a uh, Australian league or uh, in uh, Europe? Well, in Australia, I was playing in the second division, sort of a regional league, so the quality wasn't wasn't the best. Uh, but the brand of football they play over there is similar to uh, similar to American football, um, similar to to British football, in in a way where it's it's physical, it's fast, um, the bands are hot out of you, uh, endurance wise. So um, you know, it's and in Europe, you know, it just depends where you go in Europe. Like I said, England England isn't as technical as, as other countries. But obviously, you have technical players in England, but not so much as you would find in a Spain or or Portugal or the former Yugoslavian countries. Um, so the NSL is, is sort of similar to Australia, I would say, in, in that respect, where um, a lot of physicality, uh, you have to be um, adept, endurance-wise. Um, but there are some technical players in the league. There are some good players in the league. So I think it brings a lot to the table, you know, in terms of an all-round footballing game. Um, technique, uh, your physical attributes. So, I think I think the NSL is is a growing league, like you said, and um, there's some very good players. In this one, yeah. Even though the NSL is a growing league, there's a big disparity between the top team of the NSL and the bottom one. Edmonton in somewhere in the middle. What do you see in the near future for the FC Edmonton, and how difficult is playing on the road early on this season? Uh it's been a challenge, but you know I think the boys are are, um, are up to that task. Uh, you know we travel a lot before the games. Uh, I think you know where Alberta is and where you know Edmonton is located. We're sort of far away from all other teams in the league, so 
I mean, they also have to come here. So, um, you know, it's, it's something you got to deal with. It's the reality of things. You know, we can't we can't change that we're far away from everybody else in the league. We just have to um, make sure we're prepared when we go to the games um, and, and do our jobs. And, uh, you know, we've had some – we had a shaky start in the beginning, but we've, we've found our feet now and we're, we're starting to do well. And hopefully we can, get a, we can get a win tomorrow with a good result in Ottawa last week. So the boys are buzzing and up for the, up for the task, up for the challenge. Talk about that Ottawa result in the in the Canadian Championship and how important that is uh, to your season to maybe get another crack at uh, playing an MLS team. Well, it was huge. It was huge for the team, first and foremost, because we went down 1-0 very early and um, the boys didn't stop going. You know, we, we kept playing and we eventually got a 3-1 result in our favor, which was, which was an incredible result. I don't think anybody in the stands was expecting that once we went down 1-0 because the game was, you could say, sort of sort of shut down. It was sort of locked down at 1-0, and in the 60th, 70th minute, the boys started picking it up, and uh, we the three points, we got a 3-1 result, which is an incredible result on the, on the road. Um, so uh, waiting for the game tomorrow against Ottawa. Uh, we've had a chat with the gaffer about it, and we all know our roles, and the boys here are very competitive, and um, we're buzzing for the game tomorrow. We're buzzing for the game tomorrow. Uh, to be able to play another MLS team, you know, it's it's the same thing for every player, I think, on this team. Everybody wants to show what they can do. Obviously, me, you know, playing in the MLS uh, beforehand, um, I want to show the, the league that I'm still capable of, of putting in a great performance of being an uh, impact player. So um, I'm, I'm looking forward to the game tomorrow, and uh, I expect us to get a positive result. And, and last year, you weren't around last year, of course, but Edmonton uh, came very close to, to making the upset against the MLS side. I'm sure that the, the fans there and the players that were around would like to get another crack at that. Uh, Joanne, could you talk a little bit about your time in MLS, your time in Toronto, and uh, you know what you learned from that? And, and if you were to get another chance to, to play at that level, what you would take from that experience? Um, I was young. I was young when I went to the MLS. Uh, I made a rash decision leaving, um, but that you know that's me not having too much experience in professional football. And remember, it's, you know Toronto FC is my second professional club. I was at Bolton for four years, two of those years being in the academy, and then two of those years signing a professional contract. So I was just learning the ins and outs of, of the professional game. I didn't have the best guidance in terms of management, so I had to learn a lot of my own. You know, through uh, through moving to different teams, through traveling, through you know, for better or worse, through different situations where I didn't sign a contract or things that might have happened overseas with me. I learned a lot. Um, and I took a lot with me in terms of taking care of myself uh, contractually and, you know, just different ways on the football pitch, off the football pitch with, with managers, with GMs. Um, in terms of on the pitch, I've, I've learned a lot more. Um, I think I'm a, a more experienced player, obviously, you know, being 28 now. Um, and, uh, just my technical side is, has improved and my tactical side has improved. And I got, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to playing against Otto tomorrow and hopefully, you know, uh, getting the result and then playing against the Vancouver team and, and show them what I can do, show them how I've uh, evolved as a footballer. So, um, yeah, just showing them what I can do on the pitch and making, making the right decisions off the pitch as well. I appreciate you were young and it was a long time ago, but is, did you take away anything of why TFC struggled so much back then and it struggled so much? Is there anything that you could uh, share with the, the fans that uh, are listening here now? <sighs> why we struggled? 
I know I've had this I've had this chat with a lot of the uh a lot of the boys who are on the team um when I was there. It, you know a lot of internal problems, uh, you know, with managers and players. It wasn't so much on the pitch because we had we had good players uh in the squad. You know, I just I think it was a more internal issue more so than, than our performance on the pitch. Obviously, you know, that showed on the pitch because we didn't get the results, but you know, when a football is not happy and not content and, you know, he doesn't believe he's getting a fair shot in it's going to show, you know, and that, you know, some players might not take it the right way and it rubs off on other players. And I just think the environment overall was, was a rotten environment. I, I just think people were dying at the club and people were waiting for opportunities that they never got. People were getting opportunities that they didn't deserve. So yeah, I just think, I, I think the attitude throughout the, throughout the entire organization at that point wasn't, wasn't the best environment for, for a footballer to be in. Because, um, like I said, we had we had good players, we had good young players with a lot of potential. We had experienced players who played in Europe and in England and overseas and, and guide the younger boys. But yeah, it was just something internally that we we couldn't get right, you know. And it's a shame. It's a shame because Toronto's Toronto's fan base is incredible, incredible. I mean, I used to be surprised at the number of fans that used to come out because our results weren't the best, but they they continue to come out and. I felt bad for the fan base because they're one of the best in, in MLS. You know, these guys came out all the time with their banners and they had songs and they were chanting, you think you're in a in a European stadium. So I can't really pinpoint it. I don't want to point any fingers at anybody because I could, I could put the finger at myself first and foremost. You know, when I went on the pitch, maybe I didn't perform to the best of my ability. So I look in the mirror first at myself. But uh, I think overall, I, I just think, I just think the environment, the feeling at the club just – it just wasn't right at that at that point, you know. And I see they're doing a lot better now with with the good players that they they signed, and the management's doing a good job apparently. So hopefully they can kick on and they can make the playoffs and they can they can go far and give the fans what they deserve. You know, the club the club's a great club and it deserves to be in the playoffs. You know, I mean, at, at the minimum it, it deserves to be in the playoffs at the at the absolute minimum. So hopefully they can they can reach the playoffs and they can uh, they can go farther. They can go farther than just one or two games into the playoffs, but they can go to the semifinals or the finals. So. Yeah. All right, Joe. Joe and I have a real quick question. Uh, let's go back to Edmonton for a second. There, well, with the talent you have around you, how far do you think you can do and uh, go in the NASL this year? I think we're going all the way. You know, otherwise I wouldn't be playing. You know, it's no point in playing for a club if you don't think you can you can win it all. Or you can go into every you can go into every game winning. So uh, we have the players that are capable of winning every single game we play in. You know, you, you saw that um, with uh, the Fort Lauderdale game and Ottawa game. These are these are party players and competitive players who want to win games. So I want to go all the way with this team. Um, I know everybody else on the team feels that way, and there are, there are no doubts of a competitive and experienced manager. And um, we look to win every single game we go into play. And I think that's a, I think that's a possibility. All right, Joe and Smith from FC Edmonton. We wish you luck against Ottawa and uh, down the season this year, and uh, and good luck. Thanks a lot for the interview. I really appreciate that. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Two Solitude Soccer Podcast on Stitcher Radio with Dwayne Rollins and Kevin Laramay. Subscribe to the show on Stitcher Radio. Listen to the show on Stitcher Radio. Stitcher Radio, Stitcher Radio. Would you just please subscribe to the show on Stitcher Radio? Thank you very much for subscribing to the show. And now, back to the show on Stitcher Radio. Coming soon on Stitcher Radio. And welcome back. And look, 
I've been doing uh, this show, and it's called Football since 2009. And to have a player <laughs> so candidly speak of the issues around TFC was was something I've been waiting a long time to hear. Uh, you can, you know, it's Joanne Smith, and he didn't exactly have the greatest time at TFC, as he himself uh, said there. But certainly, a lot of the things that he was saying in that, Kevin, were exactly what we around the team were hearing back then about how there was different conflicts and different players were getting opportunities that they maybe weren't deserved, and there was just, just constant. We called it rotten. So, and that was just telling us all anything. Absolutely, yeah. But it's funny, too, that uh, it's not that it's so far removed that it's not relevant, but it's so far removed that uh, somebody's not afraid to speak candidly without mentioning people, because that's not, we're not trying to name, but if you can isolate, not where it went wrong, but a certain attitude or a certain uh, uh, problem in the an atmosphere, it's always telling, and it can explain the result, even though it's uh, seven years ago. Yeah, and I mean, he, he mentions the fans, and we're kind of in Toronto sick of hearing about how great the fans are. It's all wonderful that the fans are great. If the team can't match it, then after nine years, it starts to not matter, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's just, you know, whatever. But uh, I think what he's referring to and what you can sort of get out of that is that everything is in place in this environment, in this culture, in this around this club, that it should be successful. But yet after it hasn't been for eight years, and there's something deeply wrong with that. And to try and talk to more players that are around then, I think is something that any TFC fan should want to want to hear from because we got to look in the mirror at some point and find out what the hell is wrong with MLSC, what's the hell is wrong with TFC because something is. And until we figure out whether it's been fixed or not, we can't have any confidence that it's going to be fixed moving forward, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that said, we did get a win. TFC did get a win this week, 2-0. Uh, then today they announced they're going to play uh, a friendly at Beemo Field just hours after they play a TFC game on the same day because, you know, why not? And there we go. So it is. Uh, it goes on and on and on. Yeah, but uh, it's, uh, the, it's the biggest non-important tournament, Dwayne. It's the International Champions Cup. Come on. <laughs> yeah, they're champions of what? The San Jose Earthquakes are in it. I, know. <laughs> I, I was like, uh, you know the game spot the intruder? Yeah. Well, I spot the intruder in that group. It's, 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 a, <laughs> it's a bit of an odd mix that we have in there, but at any rate, uh, PSG versus Porto is the only game in Canada that is at BMO Field. It is on uh, July the seventeenth, uh, I believe, off the top of my head. It's around there anyway. It's the same day that TFC is playing Philadelphia, so TFC plays Philadelphia at four o'clock, and then PSG. Um, I'm sure Ibra will be there and just intensely playing that game, folks. So buy your tickets quick before they sell out. Uh, and then, you know, I'm sure the Porto fans will fill out the stadium. There's a lot of Porto fans in the city. So anyway, that's what it is. That's all I'm going to talk about that. Um, let's talk about the Voyager's Cup, though, because that is something that uh, that did start this week and is of interest to a lot of people that listen to this show. Uh, FC Edmonton and Ottawa, and, and, and Joanne mentioned it, how uh, they were down 1-0 and uh, the Fury looked pretty good in that game early on, but then the wheels just came off. I was talking to some of the Fury supporters after the game, and they were pretty devastated by how that game played out. But to have three away goals to go against them, and it looks like once again, um, the Eddies are going to be the the NASL team that moves forward to to have a shot at be the Whitecaps this time, not the Impact, but have a shot at the MLS side. Um, probably makes sense when you look at the overall state of the two teams. I mean, most people in the preseason were picking the Eddies to be a competitive team for a playoff berth, and Ottawa still a year or so away. I still like what Ottawa's doing, but a year or so away is is kind of the the key part of that. Yeah, and. You mentioned how the fans 
were devastated. It was a clear goal for Mark Dos Santos to uh, go and face an MLS team this year in the Warriors Cup. And who knows what's going to happen in the other game uh, Wednesday night. But uh, as it stands right now, it's a, it's a hard task for Ottawa to uh, go on the road and get that result. Yeah, and as I said in the interview, I mean, I think that FC Edmonton has to look at the way that the, you know, it's so funny. We're going to be talking in this show about the start of the, this year's Voyagers Cup when when the Montreal Impact are still basically continuing what started with the Voyagers Cup last year when they won that title. Um, and the closest they've come to be eliminated before Cameron Porto rescued the season was against FC Edmonton when... Drew Fisher! Well, we talked about it in late on the man. show. If you go back into the archives, you could listen to how we responded to that game. And, and it wasn't that the FC Edmonton came close to eliminating the impact. I think they did. They just <laughs> got away with it. It was really a, just a terrible call that they, that got taken away from them. But at any rate. It's, uh, it's funny that you mentioned this, Wayne, because it was a question that was asked in one of the scrums. And you can get that question on uh, off the work specials that were available on this feed last week. But one player asked, did, uh, I can't remember, I think it was Dilly Duca or maybe Adoro. Do you remember, or a player that's been longer? I think it was maybe Asun. He's like, do you remember in Edmonton you got close to the limit? It's like, yeah, it's a joke inside the players because uh, they do think like, yeah, we started in Edmonton and look where we are now. And it's like a funny moment they talk about. We started from the bottom. Like now, it's uh, no offense to Edmonton. We started from the most northern. <laughs> they got to be one of the most northern professional teams in the world, FC Edmonton. I'd have to look at that. I'm sure there might be a team in the Russian Premier League that might might be up there with them, but FC Edmonton is pretty pretty far north. We started from the top. Now we're here, I guess you could say, if you want to want to inverse the uh, the Drake song. But at any rate, a uh, long time ago. But that said, FC Edmonton is going to want another shot at that. They came very close. Uh, I, if you look at how Carl Robinson played the Voyagers Cup last year, and you know they they didn't prioritize it. So if they don't prioritize it this year again, then you'd have to question whether or not. Uh, Edmonton can't pull that upset. And I think that the NASL and and their teams, they really prioritize those opportunities to knock the MLS teams down. They haven't been that successful at it, but uh, you would have to think that that would be a priority, a big, big motivation for them. If at first you don't succeed, try and try again. All right. uh, Quickly before we move on, and we are going to – to break down the CCL game, don't you worry, folks, in our Canadian review section. Uh, we're going to talk about Kevin's trip to Mexico from a from a more uh, outside travel perspective in a moment. But uh, let's talk about the Voyager's Cup quickly in its format. And uh, a lot of people constantly ask the question of when, you know, we're talking about the possibility of an upset and the romance of that in a cup competition. But uh, it is still remains a close competition. You have to be invited into it. And there are a lot of people in this country that, that want that to change. Uh, and they always ask, when is this going to change? So, you know, I'll reiterate what I've said many times before, what I said on the uh, Ars the Fury podcast last week as well, for those that listened to that. Um, there is a movement behind the scenes to get it more open. I don't think you're ever going to see a truly open competition in this country, at least not for many years. And that's it comes down to finances, folks. Like there aren't enough teams in the country that can afford to participate in an open competition that could could afford to uproot and fly their club across the country on short notice because they won a game, right? Mm-hmm. And until you have that ability, you can't really have truly open. You can have a regional competition that breaks down and eventually goes national, which is probably what would happen and what uh, might remain 
Uh, what right now you have the PLSQ and you have Ontario League One, which already have an interprovincial cup tournament, which I had the privilege of covering last year uh, for League One Ontario. Uh, TFC Academy won that competition. Um, I having talked to the people around that, the idea is to eventually have that cup winner, and they want to eventually include uh, BC in that as well. There are talks with people in BC to get the probably the Pacific Coast League or some variation of that to, to move up to a similar semi-pro level. So they would come in and they would play for, you know, the ultimate Division Three title, Division Three Cup title in, in Canada. The winner of that would somehow have an opportunity to play in against one of the NASL teams. So you would have a separate bracket almost that would lead into another smaller bracket, which would eventually lead into the main draw. It's going to be a convoluted tournament, uh, but... That is, I think, the long-term plan and what people are working to. There are people in the CSA that recognize the need to do this. Uh, it's a matter of being pragmatic, though, right? And you know, when you talk to the people at the PLSQ, when you talk to people at League One, what they talk about is sharing resources to allow their representative to go on and participate in that yeah. way, and having everyone get behind them in that way. You know, you see it with the you know MLS for Impact stuff, which we can make fun of and why make fun of in the next stage, but at that level, it really would be League. One four, right? Yeah, like literally every team pitching a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars, so you get the the money. Or yeah, it's something that would be possible to to do easily. Yeah, yeah. The tournament is set in stone stone till twenty seventeen. Uh, that was one of the announcements that came back last year. So you won't see a change until the twenty eighteen season, which isn't that far from now. I mean, there's a World Cup then, so we can maybe we'll be all talking about Canada and Russia then, right? Sure. Why not? The hopes are, hasn't been crushed yet. Yes, yeah, we'll talk about Dominica and all that soon. But uh, and tickets are on sale now, by the way. Uh, you go through the Voyagers through the uh, Canada's Plan website or uh, the the Sports Section website on Facebook and uh, elsewhere, and you can get those tickets there. And there's my little advertising plug for that. But uh, I think that we are moving very slowly towards having an open Voyagers Cup, and I do think that that is the right move. Uh, but we do have to also be pragmatic about it and be realistic too. I mean, even though we're not fully open. Come on, the teams that could possibly win it are in it, right? True. Yeah, you, you, I mean, I'm sorry, but TFC Academy isn't going to beat TFC. Nope. No. They they're not going to get called downs for, for that game. Yeah, they, they lost 5-1 to the Pittsburgh Riverhounds this past weekend. So maybe we can beat Pittsburgh Riverhounds before we can go to win the CCL. <laughs> That's the other question, too, is whether the Academy teams would play against their teams. And when I had that question asked at the TFC launch by, uh, I think it was a, maybe, uh, oh, I may well waking red writer or some writer that for another blog, I wasn't sure which one it is. Sorry about that guys. But they asked about the possibility of having a TFC two play in the Voyager's cup against TFC. And Greg Vandy sort of, sort of laughed and said, well, that would be interesting. Wouldn't it? And then went on to say that it does happen in the U S and it does, but they do other, there's more teams in the U S open cup. So they can sort of, avoid it happening until it absolutely has to and they've set the brackets up as such now yeah um until there's more teams here i don't think you'd see the academy teams coming in which kind of takes away you know tfc tfc vancouver and montreal are probably the sixth seventh and eighth best team in the country so (laughs) it's taking them out of the draw sort of makes things a little bit uh, touch and go there but uh alas all right, um, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll do the Canadian review. We're going to talk a bit about the impact. Oh, no, we're going to talk about Kevin right now. Um, yeah, it's, we're going to talk about Kevin. So uh, that was really an awkward segue. 
But we're not even going to bother editing it. This is behind behind the curtain. This is how it works, Kevin. So let's just talk about your trip to <laughs> trip to Mexico. Wow. Hey, wow. Can you, three weeks ago, before Montreal qualified for the finals and America destroyed Eridiano at Azteca, if you would have told me that I would be there at Estadio Azteca for the final, I would have said you were crazy, Dwayne. And that part of that was because of the support you had from from the sponsor. Do you want to get the little plug in for them before Ab- we move on? Absolutely. Uh, uh, managing service, uh, Lagami, Plenty Pro. Thank you very much for your help for getting me down there and a couple of other people pitched in, the listeners as well pitched in. So uh, thank you very much. For once, I was there to cover a very big moment for Canadian soccer, for Montreal soccer, for Montreal sports, and for. The country as a whole, when you think about it, because out of 42 games in the competition between Mexican team and North American teams, well, there was 40 defeats and two draws. And one of those draws was outside Azteca. Wow. And it was very close to not being, being a full It was close win. to being a win, yeah. Yeah, we're going to talk about the game itself in the final segment, but let's focus instead on the on the trip itself. What tell tell the listeners that have never been to Azteca what the stadium is like, walking up upon it, what the neighborhood around it is like, and just wow. what it's like to be in there when it's full. It's surrounded by massive, massive parking lots that are all divided by huge fences and murals. There's like a huge brick fences surrounding all around Azteca, and the whole fence is painted up by murals of every event that was held at Estaca. From the Olympics in 68, from the 1970-1986 World Cup Finals, from Michael Jackson to Julio Cesar Chavez to every big soccer moment, goal of the century, hand of God, every of those moments are painted on those graffiti-style murals all surrounding Estaca. If you want to look at those pictures, just check on Facebook, just... Uh, search Estadio Azteca in my name, you'll find those pictures. And it's huge. They call it the giant for a reason. It's massive. You see it from far away and you see the the way it's built inside. And the one thing, it doesn't get justice on the camera. Even when you look inside, it's the amount of fences and barbed wires in that stadium. Every section is fenced off and has barbed wires. And every section at its own entrance and its own exit, it's... Fans from the same team that hate each other, rival supporters crew, cannot even mingle between each other. And it's very well built for that way. And look, I was lucky enough to have media access. And it was there early enough that I basically got a free tour of Azteca. The only thing I didn't see was the locker rooms. But, but the way the team it's built itself is quite, quite surprising. There's like a, almost like a river type of uh, middle age surrounding the pitch in case of, well, to prevent pitch invasions. It's really weird the way it's built. It's something we're not used to in North America, the way, the way it's built with the barbed wires and everything. Going. One thing, okay, I, and tell me about this. I've been to a couple of the big stadiums in Europe, and one of the things that always slays me, so when I was to New Camp, I, I found myself fascinated by the fact that there was a popcorn stand underneath it. It just seems so surreal that something that's so big in your mind would have something so mundane as a popcorn stand there. But, but what is the fan experience like in there? Like, are people, can you buy beer in there? Can you? Yes, there's beers, but it's uh, not that the level that we're used to. Like, we're used to, like, stands with tents and everything. What, what I saw was tables and old school barbecue and taquerias all and like in beneath the stands, the, the way Azteca is built, it's basically cement stands and ramps to get to the stadium. That's basically it. There's no like concourse or anything else like this. There is some press box and, and some uh, luxury box and this type of stuff. 
but there's not really a big concourse inside the stadium. It's in the parking lot. It's like a plaza in front where you see the famous red Estadio Azteca sign, right? It's like a concourse plaza outside. When you inside the gate, inside when you get inside the, the fence gate, in every section underneath those cement stands, there's beer trucks. Under because there's a lot of TV trucks everywhere because it's Televisa owns the actual stadium itself, so it's like a third party and it uses the parking lot for its own purposes as well. So there's like millions, and I'm barely exaggerating. There's thousands of TV trucks everywhere, and then you have a lot of small taquerias, old school barbecues and grills and people making uh, churros and desserts and cakes. A lot of those type of stands, but a very different atmosphere than you used to. And it was quite fun walking around like four hours before the game, seeing everything getting set up. It was uh, quite an experience. Well, you mentioned you were there very early because you had media access and you wanted to get in the stadium. And I was the first one there. Like people at the gate looked at me like, dude, what are you doing here so early? Like, I just want to take it all in. Like, fine, just walk around. And I walked around unbothered for like an hour and a half everywhere. Yeah, well, and there's video of you. It's in French if you if you want to, you know, go through that if you're an English speaker. But it's uh, you can see the – even if you can't understand what Kevin's saying, you can see the, the atmosphere and where he is. Um, it, it looked quite modern in some of that video, at least down, down in the lower part. Was it uh, – would you qualify it as a modern stadium inside or – Well, some part of the stadium, yeah. Some part had a new – coat of paint uh, recently I would say uh, pre- basically the access to the pitch itself and where the press room is right the uh, for the post game press conference where you Klopas was is maybe two minute walking off the pitch it's far from the press box you have to go down but it's uh, in the tunnels between where you got out of the pitch and go into the dressing rooms and in the same tunnel there's a pictures of every soccer team that won a tournament or a trophy at this stadium is there and explains the tournament of that happened and there's a display case of every decades from the 60s to this day with the biggest match and events at Azteca in those boxes you can see a couple of examples on the pictures I was mentioning on Facebook but this area kind of looks modern but it's more the the press box uh, not the press box the press area where America uses daily that looks very good where Mexico uses for a press conference looks good as well. I would say it was renovated at least uh, between now and the last 10 years it was renovated because uh, like you say, Wi-Fi was good at certain area, but for most of it, it was iffy. So it, it can't be that recent either. Um, and talk about the fans and you were there quite early, but uh, when did the fans start showing up for the game? Was there tailgating? Was there uh, something similar? Uh, how, how, when did the fans start arriving? Uh, most of the fans arrived late, but that's because tailgating takes part in those underneath the stands where there are some taquerias, some gathering are there, some gathering are a little uh, outside the fences. It depends. What I noticed, there's some people that are actually tailgating in the stands. Two, three hours earlier, they got there by small pockets here and there and started really drinking a lot. And there's a like a legend of those bins that are there for people to uh, maybe uh, empty the excess of alcohol to indulge more after. Well, those are realities. And that's what happens when you're there early. You see security and maintenance people installing those vomitories all across the stadium. And it's quite a sight to see when it's like by the hundreds, those are getting installed. Yeah, so it shows a lot of tailgating. How does one say, how, how does one say vomitory in Spanish, do you know? I have no idea. 
leave the bomb. Okay. Anyway, um, so of course the result didn't quite go America's way. Uh, what was the atmosphere like around the stadium after the end of the result? Quite tame. Uh, it's quite a lot of security. About six thousand policemen were in the stadium for the game. And I saw them walk in. Like, I saw droves and droves of buses just emptying one by one, then all single file get in the stadium, like, four hours before the game. That was hilarious, by the way. (laughs) There's a lot of security. So everything goes pretty much uh, safely at the end of the game because it's people are used to it. It's section by section. There's just a lot of traffic. It takes about an hour and a half, if not two hours, to empty. First of all, there's a lot of traffic in Mexico City anywhere, that is one of the reasons why I chose the hotel that I chose because I didn't have to go far to get to the stadium or to get to the, the club's hotels. It was close by and the same thing for the practice area. There's a lot of traffic in Mexico City. About 32 million people live in that city, Dwayne, which is a lot, by the way. And the smog is crazy. There's a veil on the city constantly. And only for a couple of hours late at night, you can actually see the city for what it is. I actually had the chance to go on top of my hotel. I sweet talk the security guy. I'm like, yeah, I need the media. I need to go on top and take pictures of the whole city. Like, fine. So like at two o'clock in the morning, I try to take pictures and then you can actually see the city and it stretches as far as the eye can see up mountains, goes down. It's that is a sight to see as well. Was there a was there a twenty dollar American bill involved in sweet talking that the security guard? Not even, not even. That's the thing. People are so nice, and it's not a tourist area, Mexico City, and it makes it even more uh, fun and has a particular charm. It's because it, nothing's in English. Well, there's some, but it's really hard, and nobody really speaks English, so you need to always carry a pen and a pencil to make sure you don't overpay your stuff because. They're not going to tell you if you give them too much money. So you have to be careful in that sense. But it's probably the safest city in Mexico, too, is Mexico City. But it is a just an experience and quite a culture shock for me. But I just love that culture shock. Fair, fair enough. Um, did you have a chance to talk to any of the – it looked like there was, what, a couple hundred Montreal Impact fans that went down? Yes, I actually had the t- chance to talk to them, yes. And, and how, how do you think – you know, you don't want to speak for them, but from what they told you, how was their experience? trip of a lifetime they had amazing experiences probably the most famous of all is they were escorted inside a police bus outside of azteca and probably drove about 100 miles an hour well maybe 100 kilometers an hour escorted by police like about maybe 20 police bikes and police cars inside the police vans about 40 50 fans uh, that must have been quite an experience going around really fast in the streets of Mexico City, escorted by police officers to make sure you don't get harassed by supporters in the street. Yeah, I, I didn't hear of any problems, so I, I'll nope. take it that there wasn't. Um, did you have a chance to absorb? I, I know you're not a Spanish speaker, so I, it'd be a little difficult, but did you have a chance to absorb any of the media reaction to the, the loss, I call it? But it, to them, it would seem like a loss. To them, it's a tragedy. That's how I. There was an hour post game the next day in the morning, live from Azteca, and we were talking about how, wow, this coach is the worst. And if he doesn't win or tie, if he if would have lost this Sunday against Chivas, Matosas would probably going to get fired. But yeah, the, there's a lot of controversy surrounding the coach, surrounding his play style. And they say it's a tragedy for Mexican football that a club like Club America let a small Canadian club, well, it's not that small anymore, but a Canadian club come to Azteca and get a result and get the first goal and able to silence the crowd for almost all the game. It's not worthy of Mexican football is basically the feeling that the Mexican media had. 
All right. We're going to talk more about the game itself in the final segment. But, uh, uh, you know, final thoughts on the trip. It was a very whirlwind trip for you. But, uh, you know, from a travel perspective, it sounds like you'd go back to Mexico City in a heartbeat if you had an opportunity to. Absolutely. I actually will go back to Mexico City. Pretty cheap to go there if you find a decent hotel. The cost of living in Mexico City is not expensive. It's in pesos. It's really fun to the the atmosphere, the vibe. It's a constant moving city because of the amount of people, because of the amount of things to do. It evolved and it changed. And he has the standard of living and the standards of uh, building code and those types. It's not the same as we're used to, but it just adds to the charm. And if you're a world traveler, if you just like to open your horizon, Mexico City is a safe place. If you can be still have to be careful, but it is a safe place. I have not been worried once while I was there. And it is a place to see. It is one of the biggest, if not, I think it's one of the biggest cities in the world, if not the biggest, Twain. And it, it's it's an experience you have to at least do once in your life. Uh, you know, and it, from a travel perspective, and I haven't traveled much in the last couple of years, but I have in the past. I've always wanted to go there, so I'm a little envious of that. All right, let's take a quick break, Kevin. We'll come back and we'll do our Canadian review. The Canadian Review on the Two Solitudes Soccer Podcast. And welcome back to the final segment of Two Solitudes today. Dwayne Rollins here with Kevin Laramie. Um, Start with the Whitecaps and the Canadian Review. Kind of a beginning to be a bit of an up and down season for the Whitecaps. Maybe that's a bit unfair. They did have a great start. They are still very high in the league standing. Uh, but to lose 2-1 at home, another home point drops has to be somewhat concerning because I don't know how many Whitecaps fans are aware, Kevin, that they have a road trip very similar to TFC's in the middle of their season rather than the start of their season because of the Women's World Cup. And every point you drop at home, yeah. Yeah, every point that you don't get at the beginning of the season is going to haunt you in the middle. And yes, like you said, Vancouver is still having a great beginning of the season. We're not going to push the panic button just yet, but... Uh, Robinson has to be careful. Uh, the defense was a question mark at the beginning of the season. It held up pretty good. And before there is an actual problem, uh, maybe a certain squad rotation in the mid- midfield of the defense could be good. Middle of the defense could be good. Yeah, you know, the positive, the half full from the game is Morales' goal. It was a beautiful little yeah. nice touch spinning goal there. But the, the, the back line was a bit off. Wasn't helped, of course, they went down to 10 men. Uh, Matias Laba, who is everyone's darling in Vancouver and here in Toronto to a large part too, uh, showed that he is human and uh, he did pick up a second yellow card. It was a pretty obvious call. I haven't seen anyone in fairness complaining about it in Vancouver. If they are, they're being hyper-partisan. But anyway, uh, it was the right call and uh, that put them in behind the eight ball and uh, DC kind of had a lot of the control and there was a lot of mistakes at the back. And if it wasn't for the keeping there, I think this one could have been uglier for the Whitecaps. But uh, regardless, it doesn't matter if it's 2-1 2-1 or 10-1, it's still three points lost. Yep, absolutely. All right. Uh, we're going to try and keep it a little bit tight today because we're going to have um, uh, another show tomorrow uh, to do with the CCL. Uh, so we haven't figured exactly the details of it yet. But uh, for those that don't know, I don't know if I've announced this yet. I have on Twitter. I've replied it anyway that I am on a train from Toronto to Montreal to attend the CCL final game uh, at 6.40 tomorrow morning. So, oh, God, that's going to be tiring. But at any rate... Uh, I'll be in Montreal by noon and I'll try and absorb it and we'll get sound and we'll do it up well. So we're going to keep it a little bit tight on the other one. TFC with a 
vital win, I would have to say, over Orlando. Um, I'm not going to overplay the the value of beating an expansion team, but I am not going to dismiss the importance to end that four game road or four game losing streak. It suddenly puts the road trip in perspective. They have six points with a game to play against what looks like a beatable Philadelphia. But even if they don't get points against Philly, although that would be disappointing and, and reason for concern, I think most people realistically, we'd have to rewind the tape to find out what I said exactly, but most people said something around six, seven points would have been reasonable for them coming out of the seven game road trip. And it's where they're going to be. So, and if they get the win, I think nine points was on the upper end of most people's estimates. So as bad as a four game losing streak felt like it shows you how quickly things can turn in MLS. And, um, that said, a couple couple bullet points from that was, you know, it, it is an expansion team. Orlando is a team that, uh, I don't know, they don't look very good to me. Neither of the expansion teams do. Uh, that said, they're... In spurts, they do, though. Like, that's the thing. In a moment, like, in the moment of brilliance of Kakao Vila, Valvita, it's been a while since his beginning, but uh, Kaká has shown a, some moment of brilliance, but it's o- over a 90 minutes, over maybe a two-week span, three-week span, that's when you see it's a franchise team. That's when you see it's a new club because they don't have that depth or they do get beat when they should hold to the ball or something. Yeah, and, and look, I, I've seen a few Orlando's games. This was one of their poorer efforts, I would have to say. Um, TFC is, is terrible at the back, as we well established on the show, for them to give up a clean sheet. It was TFC's first clean sheet this year, obviously. It was their first clean sheet since uh, September of last year when they, they shut out Chivas 3-0. So it was their first clean sheet against a team that still exists <laughs> since Mar or since August of last year when that was the impact that they shut out and we all know where the impact were last year. So yep. there's there's something like only five clean sheets in the last uh, 35 or 40 games TFC's had. So this is a team that, that gives up goals and gives up goals a lot. Uh, so for them to not really – not only not score a goal but not really produce much of an opportunity, much of a chance of anything sort of struck me to what you were saying there that this is just an example of the grind and sort of the excitement of their launch is gone now and they're into that grind of the season and you know there's a lot of pressure being laid on a Kaká. He's not able to step up every night. He is in his 30s and I thought that he was outplayed by Javinko and by even Jose Altador on the nights uh, against TFC and – and the 2-0 result was probably fair. I thought TFC controlled most of the play and most of the game and, and had most of the chances, and for them to get that win was was absolutely just rewards for that. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, let's move on and talk about We already talked about the 3-1 uh, Edmonton uh, win over Ottawa and uh, what that means there. There's another game there. It should be, uh, should be online as a stream. I'll make sure I get that tweet out for people that want to watch that game tomorrow night. Uh, we'll, we'll make sure it gets out there. I know there's going to be, it's unfortunate it's going to be conflictual with, uh, with the impact game, but uh, for those who want to watch it, they, they can, I might try and throw it on my phone. If I can find a YouTube link um, in the press box, I'd be the only one watching it probably, but there you go. <laughs> Yeah, I concur. You'd probably be the other one watching it. <laughs> yeah, see, I'm a day. All right. Okay. Um, let's talk about the impact game in uh, in Mexico City, Kevin, from a tactical perspective. Um, we'll start with a general question. You know, what was your overall takeaway on the, on the result? Deserved. Even 
they could have deserved a win. Uh, the one talking point that the players and the coach talked about before the beginning of the game, coming into Estadio Azteca, was we're not going to go there and lay down for them. We're going to go there and we're going to attack. If we have the opportunity, we are going to move forward. And we saw that. Maybe two, three minutes at the beginning of the game, yes, they had to absorb in the beginning of the game. America always goes out uh, with, a, with a purpose. But after a couple of minutes, things settled in and Piatti started moving forward, trying to get Adjuro open. Adjuro, with his space and his speed, was able to, uh, even though he can't finish for to save his life, well, at least he gets in that position. And he was trying to, he was actually holding the ball a little longer than usually. And that was implicating Romero, it was implicating Piatti and Diliduca. And a lot of good players like Donny Toya had the game of his lifetime, winning almost every duel he was trying to do. Even as a small the left back, he was winning air duels. He had a great game and he was able to press the attack moving forward. And at the 16th minute, lo and behold, Piatti scores. Duca with the dummy pass. Piatti scores at Azteca and the stadium felt silent for a moment. Yeah, and he got the L card for taking his shirt off. By the way, it said, I love you, Grandpa, on his shirt in Italian. Which his grandpa died a couple of days before. Okay, so that that's what the shirt said. Um, I hate that rule, the automatic yellow for that. It's a bit silly. I mean, I don't know. When it's done for a reason like this, I agree with you. When it's done for a reason like a, if the guy has a, a something not worthy on his shirt, maybe. But it's a, like a message like this, you shouldn't get a, red, a yellow card for that. Yeah, and he's lucky he didn't get a second yellow card in that game for that, as we know, or that he wasn't on a yellow card suspension because we now all know because of Evan Bush – that apparently CONCACAF doesn't wipe off yellow cards after the uh, semifinals, which is asinine. Yes, <laughs> but, it is. But alas, here we are. And I'm not sure. Do you think Bush knew that? Because that was pretty obvious time-wasting that he got caught for there. I don't think you can complain. To, I know the impact tried to protest it, but he was holding onto the ball. It was clearly a time-wasting opportunity, and he was ripe to get yellow carded, especially in that environment. Do, do you think he knew that he was ripe for suspension? Or, or yes, caught he knew, because you know what he said to the ref at halftime at Azteca? He says, you know, I'm on a yellow. I, I don't want to get sent off. I, I want to stay, so I'm not going to waste time. That's what he said to the ref, and in hindsight, he said, maybe I should not have told him. Maybe if I didn't tell him, he would not have been as quick on the yellow trigger. Yeah, and look, I as I just said off the top, I think it's really dumb that you're knocking a guy out in a two-legged final. In the final, it should be, you know, if they get a red card, that's one thing. But a yellow when it's not wiped out after the semis is really dumb. But however, it is what it is, and it is CONCACAF. And there was at the end of that game I and mean, throughout that game some CONCACAF moments for the impact that they dealt with to their credit. Uh, the most obvious was right at the end of the first half. 44th was, minute. The, four, the 44th minute is going to be remembered in Canadian soccer history now. With a clear, clear, clear red card, um, I even the Toronto fans were like, "Come on!" <laughs> even the Mexican, even the Mexican in the stadium, let a big gasp when the play happened. Like, "Yeah, he should. He's going to be sent off." And they knew, and they actually booed the call too, and not to an extent that we would do it in our home. But they, there was a small gasp, and the Mexican. I don't think they would have turned on the ref. I think they would have. Applaud him for having cojones if he put the red card, but uh, alas, he didn't. Yeah, and then at the end, there was a lot of other sort of chippy play that that America could have basically mugged anyone in the last uh, 10 minutes of that game and got away with it. Um, It is what it is, though, and we talk about this all the time in this show and how, like, Canadian teams, and, you know, and whether this is a Canadian team in, in spirit rather than just literalness on that is another debate we're not having right now, but in terms of Canadian national teams, I was referring to don't fight through it and they get screwed by it, right? So 
the fact that the impact did, and there are a couple Canadians out there that were part of that, is, is probably a good thing. Um, that said, Kevin, uh, I don't know. Can you expect favorable refereeing calls in the next leg? I don't know. It's the same ref that we're refereeing the Pachuca game, so we'll see. But, but that's going to be interesting, though, is, uh, like you mentioned, CONCACAF, we know what that the MLS and other American team are never favored in those tournaments. And if you listen to the post-game show that I did, Baki Sumari is clearly says that we know how it's played. We know how it's going. And it's our job and our time to get used to it and get around that and finally get a result there. And that's what they did. Yeah, absolutely. And um, look, it's not going to be easy in the second leg. Oh, and no. I, I, I don't think I understand. I think the players understand that. I suspect the impact will approach the game at the big O much in the same way they did at Azteca. I doubt you'll be seeing them. They're going to push forward when they can, but it's still, I suspect, going to be very much uh, be organized and, and counter when, when opportunity presents itself type of style. Do you not agree? Yeah, you cannot open up too much against America because they are coming with their first team. They're coming to get a result. They kind of have to. Yes, they're first in their league, but they're having a struggle lately. And on top of that, they can't for their reputation and because of the Mexican media, they're not going to let them get away with losing a trophy to a Canadian team. So they have a lot of pressure. And yes, Montreal has a certain amount of pressure having the away goal lead coming into Big O. But you're right. They have to stay organized. They cannot open up and let... They cannot go blow for blow with America. They cannot go chance for chance, especially with a new goalkeeper. Well, yeah. And yeah, let's, let's talk about that. Um Taylor Twelman was on Twitter the other day really losing his mind over this one because the sort of how it came about and sort of what was involved in this is is kind of MLS-y, we'll call it. Um, how is the addition of your new Indy 11 goalkeeper uh, going over in Montreal? Well, it's desperate times calls for desperate measures. thing is, Christian Nick is going to be with the impact for a long time now because it, this move is permanent, so it's for at least a year because uh, it has been done. The thing is, the, the North American window is still open. It has It's going to close soon, but it's still open, theoretically. So that's why that deal was possible. But it's not just a, a short-term loan. Nick is here for uh, uh, at least a year. Yeah, and that's where people are getting confused on, because it's not a, usually when that internal window is open, it means for trades, yeah. <laughs> not not for internal trades, especially for another league. And for it's, you know, it's... The 11 are run by a former MLS guy that's that even though he's not in that league anymore, might be a little bit more open to helping the MLS team and team MLS out here in this case. So there are a lot I'd like I don't really care, but it, except for the fact that I think that MLS always deserves to be criticized when they sort of have rules that they can't even explain that they allowed. That, that's why they put the kibosh on the uh, one game emergency loan example of a Sean Johnson or a Josh Saunders. To the impact, they there was rumors and people were talking about how to do it, and it was got really close for Sean Johnson to come to the impact for an emergency one game loan. But the MLS put the kibosh to it because, like you just said, they're trying to be more transparent, so they had they had to say no. Well, in that whole like Sean Johnson coming, then you really are getting into Team MLS, and that is yes. getting a little that. I'm sorry. Like, as I've said to people before, when they ask me about my feelings on the impact in this game, I'm a Torontonian. I am part of that rivalry, although everyone knows that I'm a little ambivalent about TFC on days. But I, like, I 
am not cheering for or against the impact. I'm kind of cheering for the story a little bit, to be honest with you. I, I kind of am rooting a little bit for the impact to finish this off now, but at the same time, I don't have the same passion that Kevin would or someone from Montreal would, nor should I, right? So this idea that we should, as MLS fans, be, you know, rah, 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 team MLS is a bit absurd to me, and that would have just been over the top. No, I, I can agree with I can agree with that statement. But the thing is with Christian Nick, at least, he was part of the Pachuca part of the CONCACAF Champions League. He was the backup for those games. So it's not like he's a brand new goalkeeper. He had that same experience uh, a couple of months ago for Montreal because they needed a backup because of the reason that Crepa was injured and Kronberg was cup tied to begin with. So at least it's not like a, a total stranger that comes to the team. It's a guy that is familiar with the surroundings. Yeah, I and mean, they're obviously going to... They like him enough that they're going to keep him for the year. He he will be. Do you think he'll be the main backup this year behind Bush? Now that they've signed him, is that his role? Maybe, maybe he's going to have some stint with the FC Montreal and help uh, the youngsters there. He was the goalkeeper of the year in the USL in 2012. So who knows what's going to happen? But yeah, I, I think you never have too many experienced goalkeeper when either your back your your starter is. I don't want to say he's brand new. Evan Bush has been there for a while. But he's, I was going to say he's unproven. He did prove a lot this year so far. But still, uh, you need a second backup. And now, Kronberg Cup tied. At least it finishes tomorrow night. But we'll see with Kronberg. He was injured too. So uh, it's complicated, the goalkeeper situation. Just if they would have got another goalkeeper that's not Cup tied, the whole situation would not have happened, though. That's the thing. And uh, here's a here's a suggestion. Uh, maybe he gets loaned back to the NESL uh, after this game, which that is gonna might be possible too. It's not. I I'm not making that up. That is entirely possible, and it would be very MLS if it happened. But however, it is what it is right now. Um, he's the impact's property for the rest of the year, regardless. Um, look. The last time an MLS team was in this position was RSL uh, back a few years ago. They of course uh, didn't get the job done. They lost lost by a few goals in the return leg at uh, Rio Tinto. Um, so I, I would still objectively suggest that the impact are the underdog going into this leg. Do you, do you concur with that idea? I have to agree. I have to look at it objectively and saying yes, uh, even what Montreal did was amazing at Estadio Azteca. It's half the job done, but not even. It's all to play for. They're going back to Olympic Stadium, and Club America is a type of team that if they put their starters to begin with and not just sub them in at the 70th minute, they can be a very dangerous team. And I would probably suggest that a player like Peralta starts that game. A player like Paul Aguilar, which started last Sunday, might have a better game as a lot of things can happen tomorrow night. All right, let's talk briefly about the the city right now. They, they've got lucky in the sense that the Habs uh, won't be playing. They, they of course, uh, finished off the Senators uh, early. Uh, well, not as early as they wanted to, I don't <laughs> think, but, uh, <laughs> but they did get rid of them. Uh, I think that their series is either going to start Thursday or Friday, correct? I think so, too, yeah. Yeah, so there won't be any crossover there. The entire city's attention uh, can be drawn on the impact. I think the entire city's uh, attention well beyond the impact uh, that night. Um tell me from an from an inside perspective rather than my outside perspective whether that's correct is, is the city getting really really excited for this tomorrow i think it is i, I think people are surprising a lot of i well if that's uh, maybe an indication of how it is 
I've never had as many people ask me if I can get them tickets than this time around. At least about 20 texts and phone calls in the last couple of days for people asking me if I can get tickets. And the answer is, no, you should have bought it when it was time. I can't get you tickets. But yes, uh, so maybe that's an indication. But yes, it is. And get there early. There's going to be a great mosaic. And I know the supporters Kosher, they despise that because it, it, it's made by the club. But you have to start somewhere and you have to show people the way. And I think what's going to happen with the great show of colors at the beginning of that game is the beginning maybe of a different path, a different level of success. All right. I'm just, as you're talking here, I am looking up on StubHub to see what the off-market tickets are for this game just out of curiosity right now. Um, do you think that if this does come up short tomorrow, if if America turns it around and, and the talent level uh, – uh, comes in. Uh, by the way, you can get in for around fifty dollars right now off market, but it is sold out on market. So uh, you know that there's a pretty and there's not a ton of seats here left. Most of them are sort of way back upper deck uh, kind of uh, availabilities. You can still get a few. Yeah, three hundred and thirty-five dollars in section one thirty-four would be your most expensive seats right now. That uh, that you can get for this game. So yeah, not exactly cheap. Um, if Montreal doesn't win, let's say that there's an heroic loss in this. Do you, do you think that there's been enough education, enough understanding within the market that they're still going to get a you know a nice little applause off and people are going to understand it for what it was, for, for the, the beauty, the, the noble loss that it was? I think so, too. One thing we still have to be honest about is the impacts run is, it's, yes, it's because of results they did on the pitch, but it's a, a, a result of circumstances surrounding everything that happens at the beginning of this Voyager's Cup. We talked about Drew Fisher earlier today. We talked about, if you listen to a couple of shows back on Up the Woodworks, I talked about how uh, teams like Cruz Azul got eliminated in the group stage. And team, if teams like this would have made it out, it, everything could have been different. Uh, but at the end of the day, the impact went on a Cinderella run. And it's important to stress the importance of this run is, wow, it, only once it happened with an MLS team. It never happened with a Canadian team before. I don't think it might ever happen again. And maybe not in our lifetime. Who knows? It's that type of thing. Uh, when a team wins the Stanley Cup, it's almost that same level, if not bigger in the entire world. Uh, the best way to explain to this is uh, this morning there was a stats that were published about the the weight the impact has in the media world right now and where the media demands are coming from. 46.7% of the media demands are coming from all over the world. And it has almost 50% of the sports coverage of the entire world, the weight demands of it right now. And in its own market, it's only 12.8 and 16.8 in Mexico, and the rest is still scattered. But it has a big weight in the whole world. And that's what we don't get. And that's what I when I got when I was in Mexico City, when on three sports channels, when the first, any soccer show they had, the first topic was the impact there. On the UEFA pregame show, they talked about Montreal in America before the Madrid Derby. So uh, there you go. And have you priced out your tickets to Japan yet, Kevin? Well, uh, let's just say that it was one of the reasons of my sponsorship. If the impact makes it there, it's already in the books. But uh, I haven't actually checked it out because I'm not going to jinx it. All right, I'll I'll have a look later tonight to see if I can get myself over there. I I have always wanted to go to Japan, so there there you go. Go impact. That would be a um, great two weeks in Japan. All right, tic tac tabernacle. That's go you impact. <laughs> On that note, I'll be in Montreal at five to noon tomorrow. If any impact fans want to come say hi, <laughs> well that's the thing. I think I know a couple of candidates who really want to meet you. 
Okay. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Hopefully I'm back to Toronto on Thursday. <laughs> I know a couple of security guards. You'll be fine. All right. Until the next time, folks. This is, uh, this is Two Solitudes, and I'm going to say goodbye. Yes, and I look forward to tomorrow night post game. We'll be at the game getting some audio from the players and coaches, and I look for that on Canadian Soccer News and on this show. And until then, have a great soccer.